Welcome to the Deeply Rooted Parent Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Lamborn, an outdoor educator known for inspiring parents to find connections once again with their children. Join me as I have stimulating conversations with experts in their fields, all with a dash of nature connection. Are you ready to feel revitalized, recommitted, and to regain a sense of love for your children? If so, then grab a seat around the campfire and let's explore together. Thank you too so much for joining me tonight. I was wondering if you could, before we get started into the meat of the podcast, if you could just introduce yourselves to the audience. So I'm Dr. Erin T. Winkle. I'm a naturopathic doctor and I work mostly with teens and their families. Um, and I'm really very passionate about working with this group for, I mean, a number of reasons. One of the reasons why you invited us here, Brent, is like talking about periods and what is this whole period thing about and the narratives and how to help parents have these conversations. And that's really my role as I like to be an advocate for teens and people who are parenting teens. Um, There's a lot of narratives, not just with periods, where teens just get a bad rep. And I Mm -hmm. really want to help families and teens work through that because the more negatively we talk or think about them or project our ideas onto them, um, the more they follow suit to that. So I really want us to hold a different standard and hold different lens and go through adolescence with our teens in a way more encompassing role. And there's just such a huge opportunity when it comes to working with teens in terms of like longevity of health and their success as young adults that we can really focus on while they're teens instead of just being like well teens are going to be teens and just kind of waving our hands to them i really um think there's just so much more we can do in this population for sure and then um i'll let melanie introduce herself but we've co um founded the teen collective which is a space um for female identifying teens right now from the ages of 9 to 15 where we just let them together learn about you know what is health and wellness And what does that mean for young teens? And, you know, how can we help them give them information so that Mm -hmm. they, you know, kind of have a space to ask questions and learn this information. um, So they kind of just have access to it, you know, for the rest of their life. Yeah. Thanks, Erin. So, yeah, my name is Melanie Sutherland. I am a pelvic health physiotherapist and I own a multidisciplinary clinic, BodyCo, in Toronto. And we have a strong uh, focus on women's health. And I sort of came to this almost in a reverse engineered fashion where in my practice, I was seeing all these women who were dealing with incredible symptoms that not just were really disabling in their life, but had been disabling in their life for a really long time. And in a lot of cases, it was very treatable, easy to fix things. But because we have a really, um, almost a shameful narrative around women's health. We don't talk about it openly. We don't have great conversations about it. You know, women are really hesitant to bring it to the surface. All of these women were coming into my practice and I was having to educate them. And the constant, you know, saying that kept coming out was, man, I wish I had have known this 15 or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then what started to happen was they'd say this, you know, this information has been incredible it really would have changed or impacted my life differently had I known it much sooner. And we started talking about what age and they would say, you know, well, probably around the time that I hit puberty or started to menstruate. And then the second thing that happened was all these women would be like, oh, and by the way, could you have this conversation with my daughter? Um, so I said to Erin, you know, we've, we've got to change this narrative. Like one, we have to make this conversation something that girls aren't afraid of. It's got to be something that they're actually engaged and excited about. Um, And two, we have to put the knowledge out there in such a way that there's not this disconnect between generations, right? So that mothers, fathers, you know, they're up to date with the information and can really help guide the process. Because one of the things that Erin and I have noticed is these girls are are so forthcoming. They're amazing in these sessions that we do with them. But if they don't have the people they can go home who have the same 
tools and the same language to continue the conversation, it's not enough to really empower mm -hmm. change. So, so that's how we came together. And uh, that's how, you know, we sort of became very, very passionate about all things teen and health. But I think it really does center probably if you had to ask me our most popular topic or, or the real cornerstone or anchor of the program, it's really been around menstrual cycle. It's such powerful work that you two are doing. Um, I know in my own experience with teens, it's, yeah, there's like a disconnect between their parental world and the world of adults around them and what they're comfortable speaking about um, with us as mentors. And it's like, sometimes it just, there's a wall. And um, why do you think that that exists around menstruation, especially between like a mother and a daughter? I was reading um, a early childhood textbook recently and it said that like, before like recent i forget the actual time period but it's like the mothers wouldn't even speak about it and so they would just send off their daughters to boarding school and then they would get their period and they would have no clue what's happening and apparently that's like that's that narrative's changed of course but it's still this like shameful um viewpoint of it yeah it's it's very interesting i think you know my generation and probably even my mother's generation and I always tell people that my mom's a nurse. My mom's a really educated person. So it wasn't that I was not supported in a healthy way. Um, but, you know, I think we learned in a health class, right? Somebody gave a, a demonstration that was mortifying, that felt super awkward, which already set the tone for this to be kind of a, a, a shameful or guilty conversation. Um, and so you'd sort of wait and manage it on your own and you'd sort of keep it quiet. But you know, all of the things that are coming out now, you know, we have products that are geared towards this generation. We know that, you know, they can participate in life so much more. We now talk about this as a superpower instead of a burden, but there's a learning disconnect there because mm -hmm. that's not how our generation was taught. So we have to teach the parents at the same time as we teach the younger menstruators because they just simply don't have the tools to have that really empowered conversation, at least not in a lot of the families we have. And a lot of the moms want to have this conversation. A lot of the dads, I'm sure, are very eager to be part of this um, discussion, but they just don't have the tools at their disposal. Yeah, it's that's a really good point that Nellie's making is just this gap in knowledge that's been happening for a long time. So we're trying to play catch up. So we're teaching basically both cohorts, the older generation and the teens, because what we heard growing up was that like, well, periods are terrible and you have to hide it and keep it a secret and don't let anyone know when you're on your period. And on the flip side, then also if you have any emotional outburst or anything's upsetting you, then, Oh, are you just PMSing? So these are the narratives yeah. that have been happening for a long time and none of that is factual. It actually is setting a really low bar for what women are, or menstruators are like to expect of their periods and how this cycle is gonna go. And a lot of them end up dreading it and there's a lot of fear and worry um, about it happening. So it's really, you know, teaching the parents of like, yes, I know we grew up with this story of, Oh my God, just wait for your period. Oh, this, and then you're going to be emotional and this is going to happen. And, and really just starting to, you know, break that down. And once the parents know too, they're also so excited for their daughters or their menstruators to have um, basically a new release on what the periods mean. Right. So that's exciting when they get to learn this together. And it's also a cool way for them to connect and, you know, that's another common issue with adults and their teens is connecting with them, right? And how do we have these conversations? Um, and one other thing I wanted to point out too is you talked about how talking with teens, like sometimes they don't want to talk to their parents, their parents don't know how to have the conversation. And what I always like to remind parents of or teach them is that during adolescence, there's also the way their brain is developing. It is literally encouraging them to not want to get information from their parents. They want information from their peers or from other mentors because it's their way of learning independence, right? They're practicing. That's what adolescence all, is all about. It's about practicing being independent, right? So even the most open parent who's like, I want to have these conversations and I want to teach them and I want to talk about it. 13 is just like, no, 
So also why it's important to make sure the mentors around them, like, you know, people like yourself, Brent, who are out teaching or like Melly and I, who are healthcare providers, making sure those people are in place because they'll ask them and you just want to make sure that they have access to the right information sometimes. Love it. Um, just from your words, it seems like we had a very like um, dispowering narrative regarding females. And of course, if you want to make a, um, a gender disempowered, you create all these like stories and this narrative about something that happens to every woman um, in most cases. And it seems like you are like turning that. It's like you're almost like reclaiming a rite of passage and making it more beautiful. And um, you spoke of a superpower of like, this is like a good thing. Like, you want this to happen. It's like empowering instead of like, oh, great, here comes the pain. And I think a lot of people, um, especially in my life, um, hearing from, from parents, moms in particular, that their husbands and um, like brothers and, and that male realm have like, oh, it's just PMS almost like <laughs> ready to go. It's like a card that can quickly hold up quick, uh, like super quick if there's an argument or if someone's feeling a little bit um, emotional, which could honestly just be emotional. So that's fantastic that you're really switching yeah. that narrative on it. Yeah, that's... Well, I was go just going to say, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Nike came out recently with a new training program for women centered around their menstrual cycle. Um, which is actually quite game changing because for a corporation that big to put some light on that is really important on how we reframe this. But, but we love having that reframe in the discussions, right? Because if you look anthropologically, mm -hmm. there are plenty of cultures that celebrate this time for women. You know, if you think of the concept of, of the red tent where women like nurture each other and celebrate it. And, you know, it's a real rite of passage to move into womanhood. But somehow in North American culture, you know, we've made it an inconvenience, um, you know, and we've really sort of depersonalized it for these girls. But the truth of the matter is when they're encouraged to learn, when they sort of connect back to that essence of divine feminine, when they, when they learn what happens in their body when their hormones fluctuate, they also learn that they're really good at certain things at certain times. And sometimes when we take that away from them, when we don't allow them that knowledge, it all of a sudden becomes like trying to fit um, a square peg into a, a round hole right? We know that girls fluctuate on a 28-day cycle, whereas men tend to fluctuate on a 24-hour cycle. But by teaching girls that, you know what, if in this phase when your hormones are doing this, you're going to be super intuitive or you're going to be incredibly creative. Or when you see your estrogen rising, you are going to be um, very powerful. You're going to be, if you're an athlete, like this is your time to shine all of a sudden we give them a new lease on that discussion and something that was very disempowering before sort of lights a little spark in them where they're like, huh, you know, I, I could play this to my advantage, which is really, really cool. I love that. Um, switching gears for, for, uh, for a moment. Part of the reason why I also want to have you two on for a selfish reason is that I have a stepdaughter who is going to be turning 11 in April. So coming around that time that things are starting to come online in terms of the hormones and um, the, the menstruation area. And so <laughs> we were having a walk and she was like, my stomach's feeling like really crampy. And I was like, and so I was like, is it time? Like, is it happening? <laughs> um, so could you help me out? What are some signs that you... Um, that like they're getting ready that that the the people the children in our life are getting ready for this this transition into their womanhood yeah this is actually a really common question because every um preteen is like when is it going to happen how do i know how am i ready because they're like oh my gosh it's going to happen when i'm wearing white pants in class like that's the classic scenario mm -hmm. everyone's worried about right so there are a few signs unfortunately we can't predict it down to exactly when um but some signs are like they'll all start seeing body hair like um and they're on their um 
oh my gosh, I just was trying to think of the proper anatomical term, but pubic hair or armpit hair um, would be mm-hmm. one sign that like they're starting to have hair growth. And another sign is breast development. And I don't mean like as we fully developed, but breast buds. So the start of a change in breast tissue is kind of one symptom, not symptom, a sign that it's could be happening. Also, I mean, once breast development happens or starts to happen, it's still like a three-year window, right? Like if, you know, they've developed breasts and they haven't got their period in three years, that's one thing we talk about when we're educating, like that's time to go see your healthcare practitioner. Um, but either way, usually by the time breasts start developing, we're going to they're getting closer. Another thing we talk a lot about that a lot of um, young people don't understand is discharge. And this is also for me, like as a young person, I remember this happening and you start noticing discharge in your underwear. And immediately I thought something was wrong, right? Or it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is dirty or gross or now my underwear are dirty. But no one told me that discharge was normal, you know, that that's what vaginas do. And you're supposed to have this in your underwear. But what's interesting is like, so first we'll start to notice some discharge. I mean, they'll have discharge when they're younger because vagina is self-cleaning. So it's just, it's way of kind of like cleansing itself. So there's always some discharge, but as they get towards puberty and, and nearing towards that mark where you could be expecting it, they're going to start to notice that over, you know, 30 days, like if you were to map it out, it will change in consistency and texture. And one way that they might know is that it's coming sooner is they'll start to notice a change where it becomes more, it becomes like a wetter feeling and almost like an egg white consistency. And that's actually a sign of ovulation. So when a female ovulates, which is pretty much the most important part of the cycle is ovulating the egg and it's really key (laughs) in how all of the hormones cycle. Um, But that, 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 cervical fluid or cervical discharge changes around ovulation. Um, And oftentimes that will happen before their first period. So that's one single like, oh, I've really noticed increase in discharge or it's changing or there's more of it or it becomes like a wetter, slipperier feeling. That is probably closer to when they would be expecting a period. So that's one way of knowing. Um, And like you mentioned too, there could, they might have some mild cramping And that's another thing we talk a lot about is like, there could be mild cramping if you are needing to medicate for your period cramps. Again, that is a conversation with your period literate practitioner um, because we shouldn't be having to medicate or stopping our regular activities of daily life because of period pain. Um, But that's a common story is like, we'll just expect you to be in pain for a couple days a month. That is not the sign of a healthy period. It's common, but it's not, the healthy normal that we're striving for. Um, so those are the most signs that we could really understand. And then usually between the ages of like nine and 15, nine's on the young side, you know, like 12 to 13 is the average age. And then if at 15, they haven't had a period yet, again, that's when I would bring them into their healthcare practitioner just to double check and like have a conversation with them. Um, if they haven't had a period by 15 yet. Yeah, does that kind okay. of answer some of your questions about when is it gonna happen? <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a lovely um, breakdown of it. And I guess then that's that conversation um, between the adults and the teen who probably doesn't wanna talk about um, what their discharge is is looking like yeah. <laughs> throughout the month. Um, like just from my own experience with teens being kind of like grossed out or like Ugh, um, about things like this. So do you have like any like tips for parents to, to bring up this, this idea? Um, Cause body hair and early breast development, I know about from my ECE training, but the whole discharge is, is new to me. So. Um, yeah. Often. Is there- yeah. Usually oh. it's the most matter of fact, a wait for sometimes if they have questions, always answer them as, as best as you can. And just as it's going to be awkward, maybe, or uncomfortable, you just kind of have to push it a little bit. And if there's something you really want them Mm -hmm. to know, um, just say it. And this is advice I give to a lot of teen parents. Don't do it where you're looking eye to eye, do it. Like when you're in the car or if you're, you go for a regular walk, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit less intense. And a teen will typically talk to you more when they don't have to look you in the face. That's always a a kind of a good rule of thumb. 
And one thing I really encourage parents to do is have a ritual where on at least a weekly basis, your teen and yourself have some kind of alone time where you're going for a walk or, you know, you're going to your local cafe or breakfast. I mean, not right now. (laughs) I mean, now it's a bit trickier to go to places, but where you have a regular ritual where they know they have you one-on-one and don't ask questions, just be there to listen. Mm -hmm. The more you can sit and listen and where there's a time that they expect where you will be around to answer field questions, parents, you'll be shocked that if you just can stop yourself from asking questions and make sure this time is there in a regular event or like they're used to it being there, then they will come to you with questions um, more often than not and be more comfortable having those conversations with you. I think another great window, and and this comes directly from the girls that we work with, some of them weren't aware of cervical discharge or they weren't ready to talk about it. Some of them very much were. Like, I think Erin and I are always surprised, especially with the younger group that we work with, how interested in how many questions they actually do have. But the biggest stressor, as Erin mentioned, is they don't want to be caught unprepared. So Mm -hmm. the suggestion I give... Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the parents that we work with is start to talk to them about if you suspect that something's happening, would you like us to make a period preparedness kit that you can keep in your backpack? And then that sort of opens the door for them to ask you questions like, well, why would I need that? How would I know all of those things? But I bet you and you know, (laughs) this is the, you know, really interesting thing with social media and so many different outlets that we just didn't have when we're kids. You think they don't have the questions, but they're really so much further ahead than we expect them to be. And sometimes we just need to create the window where they feel safe in asking you those questions. That's true. Um, Yeah, just like with teens, never look them in the eye and expect them to ask questions. (laughs) Parents, shoulder to shoulder. It's... um, it really, it really helps. Um, so I know this might be like impossible to, to speak about since it's maybe just so varied. I'm, I'm not sure, but is there like a normal, like what does a normal teen period look like? Um, yeah. So a normal teen period will and can look different than an adult teen period or an adult teen, sorry, just an adult period. So a, the length. So when we talk about periods, we talk about often what's the length of your cycle and how that's often talked about is day one of your cycle is the first day of bleeding. And then you count how many days until your next day of bleeding. And for a teen that can be anywhere from 21 to 45 days. As they get older and like they have a couple years of cycling, that's going to tighten up. And then we're looking more for that kind of like 26 to 32 day length period. And it will be in there. And ideally it comes, you know, within a day or two or within three days of the same day and around the same time. And that's what will eventually happen is a sign of a normal healthy period is when it's cycling regularly. So for teens, it could vary. So it could be shorter or longer. And that's normal for the first two years. Well, after their first period is to have it change in terms of frequency is one thing that's different that versus like an adult period. Um, and that's really the biggest difference is to expect that it's going to maybe not come as regularly and the length is different. So that's the biggest difference between it. And I've heard some... Um, women's health advocates talk about even taking eight years from once you start menstruating until your cycle is fully mature. So, I mean, before eight years, they're having a regular cycle ideally, but that long for those hormones Mm -hmm. to really come into their full um, cyclical nature, which is kind of fascinating. It's like, it's a lot bigger window than we thought. which is kind of interesting in terms of how long it takes it to get up to full functioning. But those are really the differences is like just the regularity. So it kind of can take a bit for it to get into its full swing, basically. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. <laughs> Yay. I'm learning so much already. So much already. It's like my brain happens and it's just that standard um, month flow, like every, um, yeah, every 
what would be like 28 days, I think, did you mention for adults? Centered average. One thing we do encourage um, the girls to do, especially when it's maybe not really normalized, is we do encourage, actually, we encourage all women to do this, but it's to track their cycle. Um, And it can be something as simple as a paper calendar where you mark off the days that you're menstruating, but maybe also mark off if you're feeling crummy, if you've had certain big emotions, things like that. Um, Most of the the teens and preteens in our program all have phones. So even just in the health app, just marking that down, because while there's variability, you also want to see that it's normalizing. And if you get to a point that's really not normalizing, that can sometimes mm-hmm. just be a little alert that you might want to check in with your period literate practitioner and just just make sure there's not anything else going on. So while we talk about, you know, eight years for our hormones to fully mature, um, certainly we would never want to leave a period being sort of that variable for that long. And usually that's not the case, but it's good to start to get them in the habit of it because that also translates into how they can really capitalize on the different phases of their period too. Yeah, I was just going to say it kind of brings into the conversation of like, well, why are you tracking? Well, well, it goes back to the superpower that you were mentioning earlier. Um, Do you have like like an app that you prefer um, for the teens that are... Well, it seems like they're all technologically superior, but... (laughs) Maybe this is our next Um, million dollar idea. But there are a lot of apps, but most of them are centered around fertility. One thing that we really try and do with the teens, whether it's our initial discussions or product discussions or tracking discussions, is really try and keep it at an age-appropriate level. So while it's important for them to know their anatomy and physiology, sometimes the, the fertility apps are just not really appropriate for their age. So I actually like, I think simplicity is, you know, beautiful in this case you know something like the iphone app is really simple it doesn't get into too much but it also helps them predict um or just even a paper calendar or even their school agenda works really well awesome and um for parents would it would it not that you would i guess have period tracking moments but potentially maybe on your walks but having a culture as your daughter is maybe growing from early school age into teens of like just being very transparent with what you're doing like oh i'm tracking my period just so you can get that language um yeah. or the idea that's amazing that's a really good point and i talk about this a lot with parents it's always what we model more than what we say so <laughs> one really great way to start having these conversations is just to talk about it normally in your family from a young age Right. So, you know, if they see period products in your in your bathroom cupboard, tell them what it is. Um, You know, if they I mean, my seven year old probably already knows, well, more than most seven year olds about periods. But, you know, he saw me one day in the bathroom. He's like, oh, why? Why are you wearing a diaper, mom? And so I just told him I was like, oh, it's for because I have a period and this pad catches the period in my underwear. He's like, well, what's a period? I was like, well, you know, I have a uterus and it sheds this lining. He's like, oh, cool. And then, you know, went on his merry way. Um, So the more you can just let them see and just ask questions from a young age, it becomes totally normal. Already for him at age seven, females having periods is a normal thing. It's not gross or shameful or anything. Right. So it's just having that conversation Mm -hmm. from an early age. And if you haven't already, just start doing it, which may be a bit awkward if you only have teens in your household. Um, But trying not to hide it, like (laughs) you leave your products maybe a bit more visible, like leaving opportunities for Mm -hmm. for questions um, is really what it is. And that like, yes, I track I'm tracking my period. This is my period tracking app or just asking them if your teen's already menstruating, like, do you have a do you know of a cool app to track track your period? Because sometimes they have the in on the cool tech, right? So that's maybe another way to broach the subject too. Yeah, I, I and you're you're talking to two very biased people here. Um, you know, yeah. as, as a public health therapist, I mean, <laughs> one of the commitments I made was to language. 
Um, so I do have a seven-year-old daughter and we don't call things peepees or VVs or dinkies in my house. Like she uses proper terminology for them. Yes. Yeah. Um, so to Aaron's point, just being open to questions, using the right language, because as soon as we give things a nickname, we dumb it down or make it sound like the real term isn't appropriate. Um, Kids are smart, right? Like they know that. Exactly. Um, so when you talk to them like you would another grown up, they feel this sense of trust and understand that it's an important or a normal conversation. Um, so I think language becomes really key from an early age. But if, if you don't have a mom who teaches people about their vaginas like I do, and God knows, I'm sure I'm going to get a call from the principal one day because she will have gone on a dissertation about it. Um, I, you know, just, just making that commitment to be very <laughs> mindful in your language because there's so much about women's health that is shame associated. We know girls peak their confidence at around age nine. So like we don't need to give them yeah, any so more reasons or things to feel badly about. So talk about it plainly, factually, um, and use the right terminology for it. Yeah, it's so, um, so funny that you mentioned about uh, uh, your son because maybe it's because I'm, I'm, I guess where Earth Path is considered alternative education because um, we're outside of the school boards, but we get a lot of parents who are very open about um, correct language and just like open about, about their lives. And so <laughs> I was with this one kid once and we were looking at milkweed uh, which is the food for the monarch butterflies. And he just turns to me like, my mom is menstruating. <laughs> <laughs> just like whole, total blue. Just drop that knowledge. And then just, we continue to look. And there was like, just, just need to drop it and um, just drop those, those knowledge. And it's just amazing. I was like, whoa, for you to have picked that up for the, for the mom to be able to share that with you. Like what an amazing culture that this child is growing into. And even more so because he, he was a boy. So he's getting this like empowered view of, of what his mom is going through and maybe his, what his sister was going to be going through later in life. Cause he had a little, little bit of an older sister. Um, mm -hmm. So speaking of empowerment, I went to the store recently to get my partner to like write it down. Cause I felt like I was going to a library <laughs> with a library code <laughs> And I didn't know which book to get. So many options. I felt like I was just like, which one do I get? There's like wings. And then like, there's like these graphs of like flow, like they're flow charts, really. I felt like I was in my biology degree again. Um, so like for the single dads and the households who maybe this is all new in terms of sh sharing, what, what are products or like suggestions that might um, you give our audience for like a period preparedness kit? as well as for those who are working with teens. Like I know as EarthPath staff, we, we keep menstrual products with us just in case one of our teens um, that's, starts menstruating. Um, that's a really great question. And I think a lot of it, unfortunately, with teens, um, there's not an easy answer because it really comes to their comfort level. Um, it, it, you know, it's so funny you give that that drugstore analogy. I, my dad worked for Johnson and Johnson growing up and he was the rep for OB tampons. And so I had the opposite experience where he would go in and he would haul the store manager out if there weren't enough OB tampons on the shelf. So I got to spend a lot of time looking at the, the feminine hygiene um, section of the drugstore. And there are, there are a ton of options and there's a real sense that marketing goes a long way in this department. But really, some of the best products right now are being made by the smaller companies that don't have big budgets. Um, some of the bigger brands that have been around for a long time, and I, I'm careful uh, maybe not to name them specifically, but I, I think a great starting point is looking at, you know, what is in the products. What a lot of people don't realize is that if there's a fragrance or perfume, that's the beauty industry's umbrella where they don't need to actually say what chemicals they're putting in a product. Um, and as a pelvic health therapist, okay. when I talk about consuming things, it's not just eating things or what we put on our skin, but it's also what we put against our bodies. A lot of people don't realize that to get that really bright white color, tampons are often bleached. 
Um, and, you know, think about what happens when you're putting a bleached product in your body. Your, your female reproductive organs have a very specific pH. So you want to, as a generalized rule, stay away from products that have fragrance, that have, you know, a really bright, white, clean appearance to them, which is kind of counterintuitive to what we think. Um, so for me, for mm -hmm. this group, I really like some of the new products that are coming out and they're really great, especially to, to bridge that gap where girls aren't entirely sure when they're going to get their period, but they're a little bit anxious about it. So for example, some of the great ones that we see now are the period proof underwear. They're super simple. They will actually absorb the same amount as a tampon, um, which was previously two tablespoons. They just came out with a super, which I have not tried to see yet, but apparently will hold up to eight tablespoons. Generally, I think that you should be changing your product oh, wow. before it ever holds that much. Um, but those are great alternatives and those are easy for teens, mm -hmm. right? It's not them putting something foreign into their body. It's not something that's going to leave them super uncomfortable. So that's a great starting point. Um, we're also sponsored by the Diva Cares Foundation by Diva Cup. So if they're comfortable or if they're a teen who has specific needs around, you know, we work with a lot of athletic teens. We work with a lot of swimmers. We work with a lot of dancers um, who just wearing a pad for them is maybe not a possibility. Um, so we, we talk about things like the Diva Cup because it's mm -hmm. silicone, which means you know what product you're putting in your body. You don't have to worry about ingredients that are included in it. It can be really easily washed. Um, it's also really good for the environment because it's not a single-use product, but it can be a little bit more intimidating. So I think first and foremost, have an idea of general rules and then have a really good conversation with them about what they're comfortable with starting to use um, the reusable pads and the period proof underwear seem to be the best starting point for this age group. Yeah. And I would layer on if you're going to buy a disposable option, like Melanie already said, like the no fragrance, no perfume. And I would even, I often encourage saying like get organic cotton yeah. ones. Um, you know, we, then they're typically, I have mm -hmm. not seen an organic cotton one that's been bleached or had anything added to it. Um, they're more readily available now. It used to be you'd have to go to like some tiny health food store to find, you know, <laughs> the one organic cotton pad. But now they're in they're in most places now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I would just encourage, yeah, an organic cotton if you want like a, something that's disposable. Um, but we really like to encourage the teens, A, from like an environmental perspective and cost perspective, if you can use something that's reusable that you just wash also, what I find we need to work on mm -hmm. is not being grossed out by periods, mm. right? People smell like, oh, I have to wash it. That's gross. Yeah. I was like, no, it's not. It's totally normal and natural. And I think the more that this is out there, we're like, it's normal in a public washroom to dump your diva cup and wash it in the sink, right? Like we're not there yet, <laughs> but these are some of the things like the more of these products are around and the more it's, <laughs> or like I said, the more you're modeling, washing your period underwear or using a diva cup. Um, the more that becomes normal and it's not gross. Mm -hmm. It's just is, right? Um, so those, yeah. The, and like Melanie said, the NYX teen underwear are amazing. Even if your teen hasn't started menstruating yet. But what Melanie and I have noticed so far working with in the teen collective is all of them are nervous. When is it going to happen? And I'm so nervous. It's going to, you know, leak out and I'm going to be in class. I'm like, if you have a teen that's entering that area of time where you're, it's, they're probably going to get it soon, I'm like, just use Nick's underwear as your underwear or other peer proof underwear. I mean, we're not, I'm yeah. not necessarily affiliated with any specific one. I just know Nick's because I've used it. Um, and they're the only one to my knowledge, Mel, that have a teen line. So the fit is a bit better for teen bodies, but um, yeah. either way, have them use it as their regular underwear every day. And then when your period comes, um, you're wearing underwear and you're not going to leak through or have to be worried. It just kind of takes that, that level of like, oh, when's it going to come out and am I going to be ready? Makes a lot of sense. Um, you mentioned that, of course, you would change the period underwear, but this triggered a, a thought. I'm not sure if this is the right wording, but can you yeah, speak a little bit about the de toxic shock syndrome? So is that basically, it? Basically, 
and Aaron jump in here, but we, we actually want our period to flow. What we don't want to do is we don't want to create essentially a plug and bacteria to build up and things along those lines. So I remember that was a scary thing when I was first having my period. And I remember my mom saying like, don't leave anything in for more than eight hours. You'll get toxic shock syndrome. Um, but essentially it becomes an, an irritation and a bacterial buildup. So what we typically advocate and, you know, with some of these products, it is a little bit better. You know, the Diva Cups do allow it to flow a little bit more freely. Um, the NYX underwear aren't inside you. It's, it's kind of like wearing a pad, but whatever product you're using, you probably want to change it depending on how heavy your flow is somewhere between every four to six hours. Um, and that's just generally a matter of hygiene. Um, it also gives them a sense of what their flow is like, which is a really good indicator of whether something is normal or not. Um, but what we don't want to do is leave a period product in place and risk that causing infection or inflammation in the body, which is essentially what toxic shock would be. Okay, amazing. So say um, the child has, has started to menstruate and is dealing with, I don't want to say PMS because as a guy, that seems like I'm just like, like, how can we make girls less emotional, which is not the vibe I'm trying to give off. But like, how can we like minimize like, like the cramping and the pain and, and like the soreness? Or is there a way that we can do that? Or, <laughs> yeah. um, what are your thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to touch on just like for them, I guess. the PMS piece yeah. being kind of like, oh, you're being emotional. So you must be PMSing or whatever the common story is. And this is what we tell all of our girls all the time that we're working with is like, yes. And Melanie talks about this really beautifully when we're talking about that superpower and we've already kind of touched on it, how it's like during certain parts of your cycle, you have kind of access to different strengths, right? Like in the first half of your cycle, it's more physical and you have, you're like, you're going to hit your personal best in terms of like physicality and, and you're more extroverted in that latter half of the cycle, you're more introverted. But during that time, you also have just access to more emotions and you're more willing to share them. So yes, during that premenstrual phase, which is what P like PM premenstrual syndrome is what it stands for, but premenstrual phase. So that after you've ovulated before your period, um, we are, more capable of expressing ourselves and maybe more in tune with what's going on. And what I always say is like, those feelings are all a hundred percent valid and real. Doesn't matter where you are in your period. If you're having a feeling about something, it is a real feeling. It just so happens that during that part of your cycle, yeah. you might have more access to feeling it. Like it, you're going to be more aware of it. Cause you were, we tend to be a bit more um, like introverted and, and like going inward at that point. And you're going to be more comfortable sharing it. But what people now do is say, oh, if you're having an emotion premenstrually, it's not real. And that's what's been happening. That's what's happened a lot is we get disempowered. It's like, oh, you're just PMSing. So you're not really mad. Or you're not really sad. Or you're not really frustrated. Right? So really empowering mm. them like, yes, you're going to have more access and you're going to be more willing to share based on where you are in your cycle that doesn't make it not real and that doesn't make it valid, right? You're just in a position where you're more comfortable sharing it, I, which is a really important piece yeah. to, to talk to people about. I think I would also add to that yeah, too, absolutely. though. Um, there that. are certain things we can do that don't put further stress on our body and make it harder mm -hmm. for teens to manage those big emotions at that point in time. Um, and, you know, we strategically don't have our menstrual period talk until we've covered things like exercise and sleep and movement. Um, and we, we talk about stress too, because we know that when we deplete our body and especially in that luteal or the second phase, what our body really needs is rest and restoration. Um, so what happens is, you know, when teens are consistently pushing themselves and, and let's face it, the world has been a little bit stressful lately. Um, if they're not eating well, if they're not sleeping well, all of those things, not to Aaron's point, don't make the emotions any less real, but it can be harder or it can be more symptomatic if we're also not really good to our body in that phase too. So it was mm -hmm. really interesting. I saw this beautiful practice recently and it was a woman, but I, I think it would be a lovely thing for families to adopt that when she was in her luteal phase lady, um, leading up to menstruation, there was actually just a little like light in the hallway that she would turn on. 
And it was a signal to the rest of her family, like that, that was a time where she needed to go inward, where she needed to be really dedicated to her health, where she, you know, they needed to respect her space and her rest. So I think, you know, having those outward signals and really honoring what you need for your body and creating an environment where people can do the same will also help us with those conversations um, and help women have a more positive experience around this whole phenomenon of PMS. Mm -hmm. And it also, when you're fueling your body well and you're moving regularly um, and you're sleeping well and you're really doing these things for a healthy body, even the other things like period cramps and, um, any pain or inflammation or any of that will also naturally go down. If we look at what the research says, basically, you know, women who are menstruating who ate higher vegetables um, and, you know, drank water and, and exercise, like they tend to have less menstrual cramps or um, issues around their period. So there's that piece too. So the more we talk about living a healthy, balanced life in terms of like fueling well and moving then all those other things seem to be less as well. Yep. It always seems like, mm-hmm. yep. just go back to the basics. It, it always it always boils down to, are you getting enough sleep? How is your veggie intake? Um, yeah, how's yeah. your water? How's your, like, your, your vitamins doing? So our bodies are incredible things, but I think we're just so not in touch with them that they can get a bit... Well, and that's what I think teachers like like you are in a really unique position because we know that when we teach these strategies in community, um, they're far more likely to be accountable to them, right? It's Mm -hmm. just something that we say, you need to go do this. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, likelihood is compliance isn't great. But when you, for example, host a challenge amongst your your group at school of like, guys, let's see um, how many bottles of water we can drink throughout the day. Um, and we've seen this in our practice too, like when you make it fun and when you have them sort of all in on it, when they buy in on it, the, the accountability, not just to their peers, but to themselves goes up substantially. So teaching these concepts in, in group and in community is also really, really powerful. I love it. Um, I want to, before we get onto, I'm very intrigued about this superpower on how to word and, and scaffold that idea. Cause I just love it. Um, you mentioned about like, the light at, um, in the hallway is like, I love that idea because I am so privileged to work with um, such a wonderful staff that are predominantly women and they are women that like own their periods are very open about it and will let us know be like, I um, like just started or I'm in this cycle right now, not feeling the best and pre like, mm-hmm like just tired, could you take the reins today? And we'd be like, absolutely. Like you, you do what you need to do today. And um, like, how can we support you? And like, how cool would that be to have different organizations? I'm not sure if this is like invasion of privacy or not, but like you could tell them that you are menstruating and that you need a lesser day because you're just not in the space, like your body is hurting. Um, but it's like, we are in such like a yang <laughs> society where it's like you don't get a rest day if you're not feeling good um and it's it's just it doesn't it's not very respectful or acknowledging that female bodies have fluctuations in uh, throughout the month so do you have any ideas on how we can start incorporating more of these values into like workplaces and then maybe it just comes to role modeling at an early yeah, age, I but mean, I'd love to hear uh, some of your that's thoughts. That's the million it. dollar question, right? And I, I think it, it really comes from people who are willing to normalize the conversation. Um, you know, most girls are not getting enough education. So I think ideally it needs to start at a young age and it needs to be something that's, that's taught in a reframe where they're celebrated for it. Um, but we need those girls to grow up and take that to organizations because it's really hard to do that. I also think, you know, the whole Nike thing, we need big companies with big marketing value behind them that see the positivity in this. And I, I do notice a shift. Um, but I, I agree. Like I always use the example with the girls, especially the athletic girls, like how cool would it be to say to your coach of whatever sport you're participating in, 
I'm actually in my luteal phase. This is not the time for me to lift really heavy because I know that I'm past that point, but this would be an awesome time for me to work on my mobility or flexibility or, Hey coach, I'm in my ovulatory phase. This is the Mm. perfect time for me to try a new skill because my, my chances of mastery are a lot higher. Like, can we organize a training session where today we work on speed because I know my body is actually built for it today. It'd be really cool to see the study outcomes of something like that, but it all begins, I think with education. Yeah. Education for sure. And my dream is to one day for Millie, I did teach this more even in school settings because not only do females need it, but males and females need this education. Everyone, every person needs this education because we're all living in a world together. We're going to be in the workforce together. We're going to be each other's bosses and we're like all of those things. And the more we can educate people and talk about the difference in how a cycle would affect it. Um, A really great read. And if, if listeners are into reading more information is there's a book called in the flow. um, And I can never pronounce her name, right? It's, Alyssa Viti, last name V-I-T-T-I, and she has a book called In the Flow, and she really points out how our current way we live is built on the male 24-hour clock, right? Where like it's the nine to five, or and there's or even like there's that mm-hmm. mid-afternoon kind of coffee breaker siesta, because that's how the male cycle fluctuates. Like they have a peak in energy in the morning, and then they, you know, it goes till noon, and then they have a little bit of a lull and they get back to it. And that is our whole world is built off of that 24 hour cycle. But like we've been saying is a female's body is on a 28 day cycle. So where we peak and lull is way longer. It's not every 24 hours, it's every 28 days. So it's very different in how we could map things out. So like, I, like the more we can talk about this on as many different platforms and just really getting people to hear this more and more and, and the more it becomes a common knowledge and a thing we talk about and not a weakness, but a strength. It's just that we have a different way of how our bodies best function um, mm-hmm. is going to help us sh- keep shifting this in that direction. That's so true. I love the name of that book. Like what an on point mm-hmm. name <laughs> <laughs> um, in the flow. You mentioned uh, how females need to bring this up in, in workplaces and with maybe people of power. And I think females have had to do so much advocacy, like every single day of their lives for themselves. Um, so what can, other than me, like thinking about it, cause then it's just mansplaining it, which I don't want to do in any way. Um, how can men be allies? Like what, what would you want us to do to help you reach this like idea of society that is so comfortable speaking about what the female um, that is such a great question. I, I think what you're doing right now, just by having this discussion, is a big step towards that. Um, I think it's going to be hard because I think you're right in the sense that when men take the lead, that could be, you know, maybe misinterpreted or, or mansplaining, as you say. But I think the better thing would be to create a, a culture of openness and trust where regardless of whether it's periods or sexuality or stress or family life, you know, and regardless of gender, um, there is an opportunity and a feeling that people are safe, that they can have those discussions. So I think, while I would love to see the tables change where, you know, men could openly say, you know, where are you in your cycle? How can we support that? And what is a task that is well suited to you right now? I still think we're a bit far away from that. So I think what we need to do is start with the culture, start with the environment and make it safe for more women to step up and have those conversations and then just listen to them honestly and openly and respectfully. And, you know, ask questions where you're not sure. Um, but I think just having these conversations is, is a wonderful starting point because, you know, Aaron said it correctly. We can't just be educating our girls because as long as we only educate our girls, the onus falls on them. What we need to do is be educating both genders about all things so we mm-hmm. can have equitable yes. conversations about them. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the same idea with the whole consent um, that we need to do both genders. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so for the dads and the men listening to this, uh, you know what to do now. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for that. I know that I, I am close to the time that I quote with you, but I would love, so, so love, um, if you could just speak about how to make this narrative of like menstruation being this awful time and how we can flip that with our girls to say it's a superpower. And you've mentioned a few um, a few times about how different parts of your cycle allow you to different have um, like intuition or physical abilities or um, maybe more like a contemplative meditative state. Um, could you speak yeah, a little sure. bit more? Because I'm very um, curious about So this. basically <laughs> we look at different segments of our cycle and, um, you know, to give another great reference, there's a book called Wild, Wild Power um, by Alessandra Pope. Um, and they actually, I'll have to get, I'll, pass you later on the name of the institute that they run but they talk about it like seasons right um so they they talk about menstruation as being this time of intense intuition um and knowing if we treat it such right so during that period it's actually a good time to sort of go introspectively to really rest our bodies, to really focus on restoration. And then as we move out of um, menstruation, we move into our follicular phase. And that's really characterized by primarily this increase in estrogen, which would normally anatomically go towards starting to build up um, the lining of the uterus in, in hopes of implantation if pregnancy is the goal. But if we think about these hormones with personalities, estrogen is bold, estrogen is brave, it can be a little brassy too. Um, so that and leading up to ovulation, whereas the peak can typically happens sort of around day 13, 14. That's when you know, we're our most brave outwardly, that's when socially, we're our most, you know, magnetic, and especially around ovulation. So when we're talking with teens, if there's somebody who maybe has a hard time starting a new conversation or reaching out to a friend, that's a really wonderful time for them to try that. It's also a great time if they have to make a presentation at school or try a new skill. We also know that when they hit ovulation, they are their most physically confident too. So for the athletes in the group, um, it's a great time to try a new skill to really push things. If we're looking at the different type of workouts that people would do, that's when we want more of that high intensity workout or higher weight workout. Um, we also caution parents that it's when they're also the most exploratory too. Um, and, you know, as they age, that will tra translate to have a sexual nature to it, but they're physically their most attractive and then what we see is that when implantation doesn't happen, estrogen starts to fall a little bit and progesterone becomes the more dominant hormone. And progesterone is a softer, more feminine hormone, but it's also um, a bit more detail-oriented. That's a good time to come to completion on a lot of things. For all of our creatives in the world, that's when they really shine. So it's a really great time to be uh, introspective to do things, you know, art based, journaling, creative. But as Aaron also mentioned, it's a great time for them to have access to their emotions. So as a parent, not only are you going to get a glimpse at what they're really feeling under the surface, because they might be a bit guarded the rest of the time, or maybe that boldness of the follicular stage or ovulation masks some of it but you're going to get a really true picture of what your teen feels like emotionally. And it's also the time that they're probably most likely to have a conversation with you about it. So for parents who are struggling to get this picture of what's going on in their teen's world, if you were to have that conversation about, you know, something that's maybe a bit more challenging or a bit more worrisome, that would be the time to do it. So we get this beautiful rhythm where they have all these different strengths that shine. And, you know, I really think it needs to be part of the conversation. You know, you're, you're not being emotional. You're actually just a bit more accessible to your emotions. Or 
you're not being pushy. You're just a little bit bolder and a little bit more extroverted. So reframing that language again and knowing where it is and, and having conversations that mm. signal where you are so you can really capitalize on those things. So great. Like, can you imagine right? if that was taught in school? <laughs> um, it was, it was even, even on that, I'm not sure if it's, if it's changed because it's been a bit since I've been in high school, but like the boys weren't indoctrinated <laughs> um, in in the female stuff and the females mm-hmm. weren't indoctrinated in the men's stuff. Like, it was like separate. We went to separate rooms. We each had their like, like a different gender teacher. And then we just never talked about it because it was awkward because it was coming from the, the school system. And like how, how wonderful it would be for these, these girls to be like, Oh, I have th- these, these times where I can, yeah, or even blossom just, in different ways. You know, that I love it from I a planning perspective. Like if you, I always use the example: if you had a really big project, you know, teachers give cumulative projects with lots of warning, and if it was a research part of it, or a presentation part of it, or a, a creative mm-hmm. side to it, if you were somebody who was in tune with those ebbs and flows. You could think to myself, now I'm going to work on the creative side of it because I know that's where my skill is going to shine. Or I might ask the teacher to schedule my presentation at this time because I know that's where the chances mm-hmm. that I'm going to do really well and I'm going to you know, ask the questions that need to be asked. So I think there's so many implications with the school system even. Um, but you're right, we have to reform education there too. Yeah. It's a, it's a missed opportunity for sure. <laughs> yes. Yes, very much so. Um, well, thank you to so, so very much for talking to me today um really i appreciate you you spending some life hours with me and um working to make this happen so super super um big thank you so before we we part ways is there any like finishing statements or ending statements that you like to give to any girls that are listening to this or moms yeah, or dads just, or just my biggest the audience hope is in general? A, we can focus on the positives and always stay curious, like ask questions, like, why is this happening? Like, if you are experiencing pain, why is there pain? Don't let those things go unchecked. And I really, really want teens and their parents to know that having a period that holds you back in any way or causes pain, or doesn't let you contribute to your life in the way that you want to, then talk to a doctor who's willing to work through that with you. That is not, it's common, but it's not a normal healthy period. I've already had numerous patients come in and with very painful, like in bed for a couple of days periods and their doctor's like, well, that's normal. That would not be a literate, a period literate doctor. Um, and mm. the solution isn't just go on the birth control pill, right? That's our body telling us something and we need to learn to listen to that and work through it and, and make sure that those hormones are all on that beautiful cycle that Melanie was just talking about. So just really knowing that at the core of your being that periods do not equal suffering and to really help yourself and your team advocate for a practitioner who's going to go through that with you and make sure that your period is a beautiful superpower. That's what I want people to know. Yeah. Aaron stole all my points. (laughs) No, I I think she said it really distinctly. Like for me, I just want them to stay open and stay curious. And I think, you know, especially as a mom to a daughter, my biggest fear is that she's going to lose her spark. So I think when we create a world where they can question and when they know that there's something really special about them and they have that, that little hidden secret inside them that they can blossom and flourish into something amazing and beautiful. Um, I think that's the message we need to get to our girls. And I think for the moms and dads there, be open as well. Like understand that what we were taught, gosh, however many decades ago that was now, (laughs) it's really different from the life that they're living. I mean, we didn't have social media. We didn't have the same access to products. We didn't have the same people who were willing to have these open conversations. So be willing to learn from them too and, and meet somewhere in the middle. Find a way that, you know, you are not passing on unsolicited advice and they are not completely ignoring you. If you can find a way to meet in the middle and help your girls keep your their spark, I think that's where we're really going to see change in this. Mm-hmm. Lovely. And for those people who are interested in learning more about what you two do and just about you two in general, 
Um, yeah, sure. How can they so, find you? I mean, mostly from a social media platform, I'm on Instagram and it's at Dr. T Winkle. So it's D R T E W I N K E L. Um, and so I post most of my information and my whole goal is just like education um, from that standpoint. And Mel and I have been talking throughout that we run this program called the teen collective, which is um, basically a group program for girl identifying teens between the age of like nine to 15, where we go through all this information. And it's basically that space where they can hang out with their friends and with trusted healthcare practitioners, Melanie and myself to give them this information um, and give them a space where they can have access to it. So um, anytime we, we launch a new program. That's where you can find us is that on my Instagram. And then Melanie will share her, her social media stuff where you can find her too. And that's how they could access us for that. Yeah. So I just like to yell this stuff at everybody who's listening. So I actually put most of it through my clinical Instagram, which is bodyco B O D Y C show um the team collective is in its second iteration now uh, we've got some really exciting things coming up um Aaron and i have a lot up our sleeves but uh you should be able to look for it soon we're hoping to have some some great resources available so people can really identify with the team collective but right now the best thing would be to search each of us independently on social media and from there there's there's always links to the work that we're doing with this population thank you thank you for all the amazing thank work you. you're doing Brent. Well, thank you too again so very much.